Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Gentlemen, it is officially game week. Uh, Northwestern will be playing at Dublin. Uh, at, at whatever field or somewhere in Ireland. At Guinness. Yeah, exactly. At, at, at St. James Gate, if you will. Um, yeah, this weekend, Saturday. And, you know, we're com- finally come to the point in our previews where we're going to deep dive. And when I say deep dive, I mean deep dive into uh, what we think of the Northwestern offense, the Northwestern defense. Um, we're going to go really, really as as hardcore as we possibly can because there's a lot to talk about um before we do uh for all of our new listeners anyone who's found us over the off season uh thank you for joining us um you know on this football season uh if you like what you're hearing subscribe to the Westlaw Pirates on your podcast feed of choice um you know give us a rating uh five stars is preferable if if you are of the giving mood, um, help us get the word out to others. Um, you know, football is really where we make our hay and, you know, it's football season and there's a lot to be excited about. So, uh, yeah, subscribe, like, uh, give us a five-star rating and spread the word. And, uh, yeah, with that, um, we will, this episode, take a look at the Northwestern defense, um, John is our resident defensive uh, previewer. Uh, you want to take the take the reins? Yeah, I think you know before we get in, or, or I guess kind of off the top, we should say just in a general sense, right? Because I think over the the next two days, as as you guys listen to this, we're going to be going right defense and then offense and everything. And <clears throat> I think. In the interest of full disclosure, but this isn't really like news because I think you're all having the exact same discussions, all of you out there. And I think in the, the, the weeks and months leading up to this, and for us, as we've been doing all the other Big Ten teams and the summer previews and everything, there are kind of these two things pulling us in two different directions, right? Um, on one hand, there is, I think, the, the feeling from last season and then, I mean, heck, you can fold basketball season that came right on the heels of it and, and all that stuff, right? And the the weight of all of that and then fold it into that I think as, as you see from a granular perspective and as we really get knee deep in a lot of this stuff, I mean, there are things to like, but there, I think in terms of what we can quote unquote see, the path looks pretty difficult here and it looks it looks potentially pretty rough. And then weighing all that against a this desire, and I know you know, Scuzz, we you know we talked about it, but this desire not to overcorrect from last year, where last year was all just roses, and we were all so happy, we made these lofty predictions, and then just like this reverse overcorrect to this season of just like now it's doom and gloom, etc. That's part of it, but then there's the you know there's another je ne sais quoi piece about like. Look at the spring. Look at the amazing seasons that lacrosse and especially softball had and the way that that lifted us up as Northwestern fans. But then the larger piece that is, look, we can tell you what we think. We can tell you what we see. We can tell you how it looks to us. But the fact of the matter remains that 
just about every great Northwestern season in history started in a relatively similar situation to this. Um, you all, this is the team you chose. This is the team that we have. This is the team that we are fans and we shed purple blood for. Um, and this team just goes against the grain a lot of the time. And, and, and really, it always has, too. Like, you know, right. we, we, we joke about how, you know, on, on years where, you know, we, we're all doom and gloom, that's when the, the, the expectations are low. They over, you know, they over, I guess, overachieve. But that's not really the right word. But, like, they play much better than we expect. They exceed expectations is what I'm stumbling to find. Well, I think part of what we're getting at here is there's a balance between being objectively critical of the team and their prospects and their play and their coaching and being overly hopeful that they can fix some of those things. And I know I personally want to take a little bit more of a balanced approach this year with regard to what I thought could go right last year. I probably overweighted what could go right and underweighted what could go wrong. And at the same time, like, we don't do this to take a dump on Northwestern athletics. That's not what we're here for. We're, right. we're, we're three dudes that are in our forties. We've been fans since the moment we stepped on campus. We love these teams. We love our school. It doesn't mean that we don't scream at the television on occasion, but we're not going to get on this pot. Like we're not spending, you know, our free time after we put our kids to bed to scream about this shit. Like, like we're here to have fun and be optimistic about what can happen with Northwestern. And I know for me on the offense, what I want to do this year is, and, 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 you know, as we, as we think about, you know, the defense as well, like it, it does look pretty bleak on paper going into the season. There's a reason Northwestern's being picked last by most outlets. Um, but we're still going to paint the picture of how this team can get to good and what that could look like. So like I encourage everyone to come along with us for that journey, but, and, and if you, you disagree with us, that's fine. If you think differently, that's fine. But, um, we're here to have fun and try to celebrate this team, not to just like take a crap on them. And, and I, I think a, a big, uh, just to add on to that, like, you know, there's definitely, uh, you know, a section of fandom that just wants to, you know, bitch and moan and just say, so-and-so's got to go, so-and-so's got to go. Okay, that may be, but then take it to the next, you know, take it to the next level. This person has to go so you can bring in what? What needs to change that would then, you know, make, fix things? We say right? it, we say at work all the time, bring solutions, not problem, not just yeah, problems. Absolutely. So, right. like, That's and, a great and, motto. And, complaining about your sports team is like a rite of passage in America. And so like everyone is entitled to do that. I just like, if, if that's what you want out of this podcast, I'm sorry, but you're not going to get it. Well, I mean, complaining, but I think what we've always tried to do, right. Is just tell you what we see in as much of a detail as possible. And if what we're seeing is something negative, we're going to try to point it out to you in as specific detail as we can week by week. That's our, just our, our basketball coverage made a <laughs> the best <laughs> example of that. I mean, it's just, we're, we're just trying to map it out for you as best we can. Right. I mean, we're trying to present it as much as possible. That doesn't mean that we want things to continue. I mean, we're waiting the, you know, the second we see something that's positive or something that's changed, like we want to shout that from the rooftops. That's the, 
the, the people we are. But then in a larger sense, and, and I said this earlier, again, never lose sight of what a Northwestern, like what a Northwestern fan is and what a Northwestern fan specifically is and what makes being a Northwestern fan different from being a football fan of so many other schools in the country. Scuzz, I'm really glad that you mentioned earlier um, that we were picked last by every publication because I want to kind of set the lay of the land for you, okay? We have a situation where Northwestern is picked last by every publication. We have a season where Northwestern fans are thinking, this team just won two titles, and now we're in this kind of dark place, wondering what's going on, wondering how we've kind of descended down to this point and how we're going to get out of it. We're a team sitting on a horrible run defense. Um, We are sitting on this disaster at quarterback last year where two players split time, and it was a total mess for both guys. Just about the only positive people are pointing to is that we've got four returning offensive linemen and strong running back play. I just outlined the exact set of circumstances heading into the 2000 football season. It's the exact same stuff. And there, there's Am more. I sa- it, it goes, it goes yeah, beyond yeah. that. There's, there's more similarities. Yeah, it, it's, it's the... The that's not to say this is a Big Ten championship team. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying herein lies the magic of Northwestern football. It's just this team finds ways to do things. So again, I think you've got you've got all this stuff where again it's like what we're seeing, and there's a lot of it that don't look good, versus just the awareness of that that magic. And I think one of the places that I've kind of come down on personally, and you're going to see this today as we go through the defense, is the way that I'm sort of kind of meeting in the middle between these tugging forces is to say, think about wins, okay? At the end of the day, it's not about what our offensive or defensive rank is. It's a path to six wins and a bowl trip. That should be the goal this season. And that should be the focus. So as we go through everything, try to keep that in mind. Being like, look, some team may run for 350 yards against us, okay? But maybe that's not the team that was part of our path to six wins, okay? Keep that in mind, what the goal is, right? Like to paraphrase Moneyball, right? We're not buying offensive rankings and defensive rankings. We're trying to buy wins here, okay? And... Um, again, I'll return to that as we go through the defense today, but I think that's just a sensible thing to keep in mind in a sensible way to kind of try to meet in the middle as we go through this team this year. Uh, so, so let's, you know, come and focus at, on the, on this defense. I mean, you know, going into last season, you know, we were flying so high after the 2020 season, the defense was incredible. You know, Mike Hankowitz goes off into retirement, um, you know, on his white steed. And, you know, Jim O'Neill comes in. And we, we I, I know we went into last season really, really high on our defense. Yeah. And I think based on all that and based on those predictions, like, you know, after everything that we said off the top, like, I'm going to be honest, this was a hard preview for me to prepare. Um, and... This is something we've mentioned before, but we've gotten requests over the years to preview Northwestern the exact same way we preview everyone else in the conference. 
um, all throughout the summer. And we've always pushed back on that for the exact same reason Scuzz outlined off the top. We don't want to think about Northwestern like everyone else. At the end of the day, I want Nebraska to keep being a mess on defense. And at the end of the day, I don't honestly care one way or another if, say, Maryland's defense improves, okay? But we are deeply invested and have deep love for this Northwestern team. We love these players. We want things to work out. But the one thing that I do chafe at is people thinking that this love that we have for Northwestern blinded us last season and led to all those rosy predictions we made. I know Scuzz mentioned off the top that there are things where like ways that you wish you would have visualized it a little bit different, right? Uh, And things you wish you would have seen and ways you wish you would have tweaked it with the predictions, right? Balancing Um, upside risk and downside risk. Exactly. Balancing upside risk and downside risk. But the idea that we made the predictions we made last year just because we love Northwestern is just BS. Um, We may have gone a little glass half full on some things, but overall, we made a bunch of very reasonable assumptions. And then we watched a lot of those assumptions totally go up in flames. And I want to start here by running through some of those assumptions on the defensive side of the ball. So the first assumption was to just be generally glass half full on all the guys who hadn't played the year before. And I will defend this one forever. When a team with a strong defensive culture uh, and a defensive coordinator, the aforementioned guy going out in his white steed, Mike Hankowitz, um, and position coaches like Marty Long with these strong records for developing talent um, produces this absolutely phenomenal defense my instinct is not going to be to assume that all of the reserves on that defense have problems. That's not where my brain's going to go. I'm going to assume that they are also good, just not as good as the awesome guys playing in front of them. That's the sensible way to go. And that's not just Northwestern. We do that for Iowa. We do that for Wisconsin. All the teams with these strong defensive track records. But it goes beyond that. Because several of the guys that we were expecting to come in and play had been with the program for a long time and were known names. These were sometimes guys that had played a lot of special teams, for example. These were not guys anyone looked at with, like, derision. And even going a step beyond that, we had guys like Sam Dup Miller, who was a massive contributor from years past, coming back. There was no reason to believe that the guys who were waiting in the wings were not going to get it done. The D of the year before did not have the personality of this team that was desperately clinging to this small handful of guys. Think about the bowl game. Players like Cam Mitchell and Jordan Butler showed out in that game. Okay, but well, as was, long, I just want to yeah. I just want to build on that briefly. Um, yeah, because I think Brandon Joseph is 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 a another flavor of this. There's been a lot of. I'd say post transfer derision toward Brandon Josephus, Joseph and 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 let's be clear like he did not have a good season on the field last year for Northwestern. Our thesis which we talked a lot about during the year last year is that he was being misused. And a guy that played predominantly center field as a safety his freshman year and was exceptional at it got moved up to the line and was put in just a different type of role. It didn't work out for him. That doesn't mean that he sucks. Yeah, he like receivers blew by him and he and he struggled in in that role that doesn't mean he's a bad player and i've just i've seen a lot of takes of that ilk 
um, that always rub me the wrong way because he's going to go to Notre Dame and he's going to play center field and he's going to get drafted and he's going to be the next Kyle Hamilton. He's going to be awesome. Um, well, and, and in all, in all honesty, if, if you want to throw stones at our secondary this season, you must have a lot of stones in your bag because I'm just, saying, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just but, saying not the first place I'd look. Um, but but so I think it wasn't just the reserves. Like I think the whole defense went out the window last year, and we're going to get into you know some of the other assumptions that went behind why we thought that wasn't going to be the case. But like, I, like it is um, the other piece that you didn't mention, John is is it's not just the culture and the and Hankowitz and Marty Long, et cetera. Like this pr- program has had an upward trajectory with recruiting on both sides right. of the ball. Mm-hmm. basically since what 2016 um it's been pretty clear so like the the guys that played last year were guys that had higher pedigree than the guys that had played in the past and that's um now, now like recruiting rankings are wrong all the time like i'm not suggesting that that's a that's a, a an infallible bellwether or something but there was good reason to 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 your point um except that those players were going to be able to get it done and and they didn't Right, or to, to or to even you know, if you had reservations, to meet in the middle, to meet somewhere between what that defense was in 2020 and what it was in 2021, because we did not meet in any kind of middle there. Right. Um, I wanted to mention though, as as long as we're talking about um, some of those the, the defensive line in particular, okay, um, and guys I mentioned, Sam Dup Miller, Jordan Butler. There's another assumption I made, and. This is one that I sort of feel guilty about, less guilty about, and more just like, it's, this is another part of being a Northwestern football fan. At a lot of other programs, when you don't hear about guys for a long time, there's not necessarily any reason to assume anything in particular. But at Northwestern, we certainly, in our position, your mileage may vary, kind of need to know to suspect injuries. I think we all know that Northwestern is just the absolute KGB when it comes on to passing injury information along, especially if a player is not a regular starter. Um, So not only do we not know who's hurt, we don't know the severity of the injury or the level of recovery a player has made. This has had a huge impact, and I think much larger than I think a lot of people are aware, over the past couple of years specifically pertaining to the defensive line. Um, and again, I think that is kind of coming home to roost to an extent this year. Although again, it's hard to know just how much because of how little information that we are given. I would just look and say like, you can just look at Jason Gold, Jordan Butler, Devin O'Rourke. These are guys who either were big recruits or have looked really good at times on the field for Northwestern or both. Um, and those guys played almost no meaningful slaps, uh, snaps last year for a defensive line that really needed bodies. Um, and then you look at Sam Miller, he kind of seemed to come and go on the roster week to week in terms of being an active player without you know us really having any idea as to why he was or wasn't out there. Um, and these are all really big things. And I think it's important to see, I just named a bunch of names all in the same position group. And that's a, it's, it's a net seismic impact on what the defensive line is trying to get done. And I just want to make you guys all aware of that because I feel like it's a huge deal. 
there are only so many top players you can have suffer injuries or have to fight through injuries or have before it starts to affect the whole position group. It's a really big deal. It's not anyone's fault. It's just a situation where like, be aware of it because I think at other schools, you might have a clearer picture of this than you do here. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, f- it's tough. Yeah. It's tough because like they don't talk about it. And, you know, a guy yeah. will vanish for a while and you don't hear anything about it. And, you know, we're just kind of left to wonder because, right. like you said, there's there's no transparency like there is in other programs. Like, you know, other, other places are, are talking about, oh, yeah, this guy hurt his knee. He'll be out four to six weeks. Right. We never hear that about any injuries. And it, it's, you know, kind of the fir- first thing to assume. In, and I, th- I think I'm becoming to I'm coming around to this. And, you know, it's taken years and years and years. Like, have I haven't heard about someone like you said, are they hurt? Right. And I think you can look at the fact that Jason Gold started the first game of a season during a year when Northwestern had a great football team. Um, and then that was two years ago. And since then, you know, he's, we've seen him very little, but again, it's speculation, but again, it's so for all you people, you know, if you're looking being like, what is going on with the defensive line? Injuries are probably a huge part of it. And that's a really tough thing to have to deal with. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Simpson of the Simpson law group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Simpson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats! Now that we've talked about things that are not, not anybody's fault... The third well, it was and within fi- our control, John. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. The third and final assumption uh, that we made last year that I made relative to the defense is the one that stings the most. It's the one that hurt the most throughout the season. Um, I expected more from Northwestern's coaches, starting with Pat Fitzgerald. I know we have been inundated with requests to take our pound of flesh from Jim O'Neill. I totally get that. We're going to get into it. But as I said all last season, I don't think you can talk about Jim O'Neill without talking about Fitz. I think we all know the decision to hire O'Neill can be traced back to a period of time when the power structure at the top of Northwestern was feeling its oats and believing that it could make certain personnel moves simply because it wanted to, free from consequence, okay? But I want to stress that in the moment the O'Neill hire happened, And for months and into the season after that, we made every effort not to frame the Jim O'Neill hiring in that way. One of the big reasons we had not to do that was the fact that any reasonable football fan would have believed O'Neill was coming in to run a 3-4 defense. When Chip Kelly hired Jim O'Neill to be his DC at the 49ers, he literally said, The whole reason he did it was for Jim O'Neill to come in and run the 3-4. 100% of O'Neill's DC experience comes in the 3-4. He was groomed for several years to be a 3-4 defensive coordinator and given as much runway as possible to slide into that role. He wasn't even asked to call plays in his first year 
as an NFL DC with the Cleveland Browns. And despite this extended runway, O'Neal's track record as an NFL DC was pretty awful. And given that, and given the extreme success his former pupil Jim Leonard had at Wisconsin running the 3-4, O'Neal's hiring really only made sense through the lens of the 3-4. And compounding this was something that goes back to my first point, and it bears heavily on this season. One of the reasons we were so stoked about the 3-4 was that as we saw things at the time, it gave Northwestern a lot of chances to put a lot of these exciting players on the field that we hadn't seen yet. There were like nearly 10 linebackers in that core alone that we were excited to finally to see, you know, finally get a chance to show out on the field. And a lot of those guys were sort of like 3-4 type inside linebackers, you know, maybe a little bit under the weight that some Northwestern fans are used to seeing from linebackers, but really fast, really athletic. And then on the other hand, you have guys like Adetomaiwa Adeware, who could definitely play the edge in a 3-4 system. So we saw the 3-4 as this reservoir of possibility. And we knew that despite those injuries, the one thing that NU seemed to have at the time was this large group of large defensive linemen. Think guys in the 300-pound range who could rotate across the three-man front in that 3-4 scheme. And as we now know, of course, none of this came to pass. We stayed with a 4-3. Not only that, a couple of things immediately became clear a quarter of the way through the season. The current group in that front seven was just getting annihilated on the ground, and we were not going to make any moves to address that. This is the single thing that burns so bad for me about last season, and I'm honestly not over it even now. I think of all the guys we were excited to see get a chance in that 3-4 system, and we didn't run that system, a ton of those guys didn't play, that in and of itself is fine. But we look at some of the personnel that did play. These were not guys that we were pessimistic or cynical about. We're not those kind of people in general. We said that off the top. But these were guys that I knew, and I liked, and I'd seen play, and had high hopes for. And then the start of the season happened, and I realized after a few games that to my own shock, We had major problems, and then I waited for changes to be made, and changes were never made. I want to make sure at this point that everyone knows, not only that Northwestern was 14th in the conference in run defense last year, but that we were 52 yards a game below 13th place. This was a five-alarm fire, and we made almost no attempt to address it by trying new personnel. So... What does that say about guys like Xander Miller and Grayson Metz? I personally believe these guys can be great football players. And you know what? Fitz is going to tell you the exact same thing if you ask him right now. Especially since, at least from my call, we haven't seen the depth chart. Doesn't really matter whether we see the depth chart or not in the Pat Fitzgerald regime. But, you know, we won't really know until Dublin. If you ask me right now, I'm going to say that Xander Miller is probably going to play the entire year at linebacker, and Grayson Metz is probably going to be rotating in, um, coming in to replace Wendell Davis, um, with Metz being that nominal star position when opposing offenses show us lighter sets or we're trying to have a little bit more speed on the field. Um, But in a situation that could not possibly have been any more break glass last year, Fitz and Jim O'Neill didn't play these guys. Now, some of you 
may truly be cynics and may say that this is because Xander and Grayson aren't up to snuff. I'm sorry, I reject that. This was not the only position Fitz refused to make changes at last year in the face of dire circumstances. And again, Northwestern had the number 14 run D in the Big Ten by 52 yards. So let's say Miller and Metz get more playing time last year, but things don't improve. Well, it's still a net positive because you'd be greatly increasing the reps and starts those guys would have coming into this season. So I guess I would say that as a Northwestern fan, you're sort of in this pick your poison situation because either you believe we're going to play some guys this season who aren't at Big Ten level. Again, I don't believe that. Or you believe that our coaching staff just has this serious problem making adjustments beyond what's laid out at the start of the season. Um, And, you know, that's kind of a dispiriting thing. I really hope the coaches took some lessons out of last season in terms of what they need to do better. Um, I guess the most optimistic... Yeah, go ahead. Two quick quick thoughts here that I just... I want to jump in with. One is that I think... Everything that John just said should not be read as like an indictment of the players that play. That's not the point. The point is that when you have 13 linebackers in your core, 16 or whatever we had, and and your unit isn't performing, your best path forward is to experiment a little bit. And it's especially in situations where like we're not winning this game. Yeah. Exactly. And, and potentially build for the future. And there was, and and that, that didn't happen. And and like, I liken it as, as, as a leader who's, who's charged with like trying to lead other people, people, your job is to set those people up for success. If you're just trotting the same guys out to do the same thing and it's not working over and over and over again, you're not helping those dudes in any way, shape or you have to change something that's happening, be it scheme, be it personnel, be it, whatever and none of that happened and so like the the point here is this seemed this was just a call it stubbornness call of it call it you know kind of uh, a, a lack of of understanding what to do um the, the the only the most generous read i can come up with is that they wanted to shield you know certain young guys maybe from like experiencing what last year was like uh for that team but I mean, what, that's what, i mean again right it's like those are the contortions you're forced into right but like do do not hear us saying this and saying like oh yeah the guys that play just sucked it, it, like the the problem was that we never adapted or adjusted or or tried to help those guys get better it was just wash, rinse, repeat for 12 weeks. And whatever, and whatever your, again, whatever your personal mileage is for when coaches should be trying new personnel or et cetera, like there's whatever your personal, wherever you personally come in on the scale, we didn't meet your needs on that scale. I mean, there were no changes. Um, and, and I think in some of the few changes that were made when guys were getting like reps at the end of games and stuff like that, it's, you know, those reps still went to, to seniors and, you know, there wasn't a look, you know, in, in a large regard to guys coming across, but, and, and, you know, I think the, there are also a lot of people too, who are like, it sounds like you're talking a lot about the linebackers. I am talking about the linebackers. We're going to get to more of that, but there are a lot of people who, you know, a huge portion of fans and, um, 
talking about like the defensive line and be like, to me, the problem was the defensive line. You guys talk too much about the linebackers. The defensive line is where a ton of the problems like, I'm not saying you're wrong. Again, you look at where we were with the defense. I mean, I think this is a whole front seven issue. Um, I think a very quietly, one of the most prescient predictions I heard was at the start of last, before the start of last season, um, there were questions going out. It could have been on Rivals. It could have been on Twitter. What, who's the single player who will be most missed um, on the team? And our, our man coach, NUFBR Recruiting, um, said Jake Saunders. And in hindsight, quietly, that is one of the most prescient predictions because that ended up being a huge prediction to me. And we did have real problems on the defensive line. And a guy like that really would have been missed. But regardless, again, changes weren't made. You know, it was a static situation, like Scuzz said. Um, with all that said, I think the most optimistic tone to, tri- to, to strike in this regard um, is, at least you know, relative to the linebackers, we're going to be putting some green but potentially talented linebackers on the field this year. And I think um, my hope is the coaching staff is kind of chastened by what they did wrong last year and that they'll be willing to adjust on the fly when things don't go according to plan. I mean, for God's sakes... At what other program would we as fans be wondering whether or not we're going to see Anto Saka or Mac Uline uh, get in-game shots to remedy what, again, as things stand, is the number 14 Rundy in the conference if things start out on the wrong foot again this year? So, it is under the weight of all of these things that we head into 2022. It's a lot. It's a heavy load, and that's why we tried to strike the tone we tried to strike right off the top, okay? Um that Jim O'Neill piece compounds everything. And here's where we'll get to it. Because again, a lot of you are on this. A lot of you are on only this. Um, and let's be honest. I mean, that piece compounds everything. Because there does exist a situation here where Northwestern has a really, really rough defensive season. And I think the fact of the matter is that whether whether that's scheme, whether that's things you can directly point to Jim O'Neill, whether it's a talent issue, you know, whether it's, you know, whatever the issue is, okay? Um, if we turn in a defensive performance where the defense is ranked as low this year as it was last year, Jim O'Neill on paper is going to look like one of the worst defensive coordinators to ever hold that job. He will have had disastrous tenures at three different teams. He will have not shown improvement despite a bunch of bites at the apple. Um, and in that regard, again, whether or not we go after Jim O'Neill or take our pound of flesh that people want or whether, you know, we focus on other things or we're, fo- you know, our attention is elsewhere. Um, going out of a season like this, how do you sell a track record like that going forward? I mean, again, it, it kind of is what it is. I mean, it's just numbers. It's just stats at that point. You'll have a guy who's been a defensive coordinator for five years and it's just been five years of just a mess. So... That's a rough thing to have compounding this heading heading into the year. Um, but I think with all that said, um, the the place to start, and again, we'll get to the secondary eventually where I think a lot of the most positive no, no, um, news is, and the defensive line is not without positive news. Um, but regardless, this is where we have to start. So we talked about it before, and it, it needs to be restated because it's incredibly important. There exists a strong, strong possibility that this unit over the past few years has just been decimated by injuries. And the easiest way to look at it is, so I happened to watch the Northwestern News Network defensive preview earlier this summer. 
And I saw Bradley Locker, who we think just does fantastic work, you know, one, through one year at Northwestern, he's, he's just doing great stuff. But I watched Bradley Locker diagram, without any irony, a defensive tackle depth chart based almost completely around transfers. Um, and two of those transfers are coming in. Um, they combined last year for 0.5 tackles for loss for the 126th and 127th ranked run defenses in the FBS. And then a third defensive transfer um, coming in who had four tackles for loss, but for an FCS school. And those were, that's the, the core of the rotation. There's a really good chance that that is the core of what we're looking at this year. Locker was talking about this. He may not have been wrong. Just think about what it takes to get to that point. Because again, Jason Gold and Jordan Butler have looked great at times on the field for Northwestern. I'm going to go back to that game Gold started against Maryland where he looked great. We saw Butler looking great against Auburn. And now, again, we're wondering about the extent to which these guys will even play. I mean, listening to the tea leaves from summer practice, I think Butler's going to be in the rotation. I don't know about Gold. Um, um, and then you factor in, you know, Tara Edwards, whatever the situation was with him, he transfers out, transfers to Illinois. But, you know, it, it's funny. I was listening to a uh, reading uh, the Rivals interview. I want to say it was Michael Fitzpatrick, but I could be wrong. Um, interview with Jim O'Neill where one of the things Jim O'Neill was talking about was how he feels like he's had a chance to integrate more of his system. And I was kind of like, so first of all, I don't know what that means because to me, like your whole system background has been three, four. But then in that context, we realized that it might, it may be impossible for Northwestern to run a three, four right now. Even if we wanted to, I don't see that we really have the bodies up front. Um, if you look at teams that run a 3-4, Wisconsin, Nebraska, you look at their rosters, they have double-digit players in the vicinity of 300 pounds because you have to have that because every guy on the defensive line has to be enormous because that's the way a 3-4 is structured. We may have half that many guys this year in the vicinity of that weight. Um, and, and again, hey, hey, John. Yeah. Iowa's trying to run an offensive line with only like yeah. one dude who weighs yeah. 300 pounds. I mean, Fair. Like, so maybe like, it's, it's not impossible. Maybe, maybe it's in vogue. Yeah. I mean, hey, I mean, that's that that will be good when we play that Iowa offensive line. That's for sure. Um, so, I, you know, again, I mentioned those really sobering numbers about the incoming defensive tackle trio. OK. Um, and I I'm just telling you the way I'm seeing it. I really hope I'm wrong. Um, you know, and one thing you could point to is Jeremy Mazur was an incoming transfer from a small school, Old Dominion. He was basically Northwestern's second best defensive lineman last year um, as an incoming transfer. And Marty Long's a good coach. If Marty Long can unlock, you know, that level of production in all three incoming defensive tackle transfers and, you know, find an extra gear for those guys, that obviously is going to go a long way to helping Northwestern build something this season. I just don't think any of us should have the raw expectation that that's, that that's going to be there. You hope for it. You hope you see something like this. Um, but again, mention this off the top. I just want to remind everybody all, we're looking for wins. We might very well have the number 14 run D in the conference again, but that doesn't matter if we can get to six and six. And here's the big thing with the defensive line. The defensive line still has arguably the single biggest factor to us getting to that path. And that is Tommy Adewore's ability to generate pressure, particularly against subpar offensive lines. 
I want to make it clear immediately that when I say subpar offensive lines, I mean this as a complement of the highest order. There's an entire wing of offensive lines on NU's schedule that can't handle him. So ignore his sack numbers from last year, which aren't bad. But look at the amount of times he at least got hands on the quarterback for each of those 12 times. There were even more times where he was in the backfield, moving the quarterback around, affecting what the QB could accomplish. Huge deal. Because at least half the team's NU plays can't address him on passing downs. Now, getting to those passing downs may be a massive question. But there are teams like SIU, Duke, Miami, who we should at least be able to manage on the ground. And teams like Purdue and all caps, Nebraska, who may have zero interest in running the ball at all. If you're trying to find a path to six wins, Tommy is a huge piece, if not the biggest piece overall. Um, so if, if, you be- yeah. if you believe uh, Phil Steele's tome of uh, college football preseason information, uh, he has Devin O'Rourke listed in the defensive tackle slot as a starter he's got Najee Story in the I guess three deep technically um both those guys would be you know quite undersized relative to to other names you've mentioned in the, de- in the defensive tackle space but um it, interesting nonetheless to consider and you know we, don't, we haven't seen we, we've seen no depth chart yet but you know pretty quickly on the heels of this podcast or, and or our next one um that will become uh that'll become public information and we'll see what we see but um any thoughts right. there, John? Well, it's it's so tricky for two reasons, right? It's exactly everything we talked about, right? Where it's like, Najee's story is a guy we really want to see play, right? And we didn't see him play last year. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, I think we're all wondering and searching for answers. Why was he not one of the fire alarms that was pulled last year, right? And it's those weird things. I I want to absolutely have an expectation that he plays. There's a whole wing of guys like that, you know? But again, it's, I think we're all affected by our situation last year. And then in a similar vein, Devin O'Rourke, absolutely. I want to see as much Devin O'Rourke as we possibly can get him on the field. It's just, again, and this is the thing. It's like, it's weird to even speculate. I just, I feel that there's an injury piece of this that's been a thing over the past couple of years. We don't know what, we don't know how much. And it's just, it makes any of these kind of predictions um, so hard until we get to game day. And then, of course, we all know that Fitz's legendary depth charts do us no favors. In this <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so we have to wait, you know, and see. But, yeah, no, I mean, I, I really hope we can see both of those guys. It's just it's so tough to, to, to make a gauge off of that, right? I will say, again, I just any answers we can get in the interior of this line again if it's from some development that i'm just having trouble seeing with these transfer defensive tackles fantastic if it's a guy like devin o'rourke moving inside making meeting his potential fantastic it's just hard to map those things out it's hard to see it um i i pray that something comes up and that we do find it um so now we get to the linebacker core again simple facts this group is really really green and playing behind what, again, appears to be a potentially very shaky defensive front in front of them. That has always been, at Northwestern or any other school, a rough combination. The main positives I would grab are these. First, obviously, Bryce Gallagher got better all year. 
He's not fast, but he has good instincts. And again, ascendant all season. Had a rough start to the season. Got better all year long. Grew into the position. There's no reason to believe that he won't keep on improving. And then second, it's important for people to understand, and this is the other piece that you have to factor in with the static nature of last season and changes that weren't made and stuff. None of this happened in a vacuum. Opposing offenses were absolutely aware of these things, and they absolutely targeted our defense in specific spots last year. Um, So if Wendell Davis, Sander Miller, Grayson Metz, if these guys are a solid rotation around Gallagher, I mean, Northwestern could produce a a balanced unit that hopefully defenses kind of can't go at that way. Here's the Titanic caveat, though. All of you may be aware that Chris Bergen was good last year. I don't know if you're all aware how good Chris Bergen was last year. Chris Bergen finished second in the nation and first in the Power Five in solo tackles. And that was with opposing offenses running away from him a ton of the time. Bergen finished third in the nation in total tackles. That's two tackles behind Jack Campbell at Iowa, and he's going to be generally regarded as the best linebacker in the conference headed into this season. So you can look at that 5.3 yards per carry Northwestern gave up on the ground last year, which is more than a yard worse than the next lowest team, and then realize that that 5.3 a lot of the time was the point on a running play when Bergen tracked the play down and stopped the bleeding. But again, we're just looking for balance out of this group. Don't give teams that don't that aren't based around a naturally strong rushing attack specific areas to go after. Because a lot of the time, again, it's not just personnel. It's that Northwestern gave static looks that North that that opposing teams just looked at and targeted. Um, don't let backs get to the outside. Funnel things into Bryce so he can deal with them. Um, do enough to get a lot of these teams to third down um, so that you can unleash Tommy and that the secondary can be brought to bear. Um, which, good news. Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> North- that secondary. Yeah, Northwestern has a good secondary. Um, even, with a, I know, even with Brandon Joseph leaving. Like, well, it's not, I, I, it's not I, like all doom and gloom here, guys. Absolutely. And, and again, I know right off the bat that for a lot of listeners, there are two huge negatives that everyone wants to focus on. That loss of Brandon Joseph and deep balls over the top. And I get that. Um, you're right. You're not wrong. This is still easily Northwestern's best defensive unit. Um, there, yeah, there's that head scratching kind of quandary, right? As how a secondary can be this solid while getting snake, but over the top, but facts are facts. AJ Hampton and Cam Mitchell are generally two of the better cover corners in the big 10. They just are. I mean, Cam Mitchell's a solid NFL prospect. AJ Hampton was leading the nation in passes broken up, uh, through like the first quarter to half of the season. Um, they climb in receivers' pockets. They tackle really well. They're just very aggressive, A.J. Hampton in particular. And sometimes that does not pair well with a D-line that's not generating pressure against strong offensive lines and getting sacks, um, or when teams that establish the run really well can execute play action out of that. Because you got corners that are coming up. They're trying to be aggressive. They're trying to participate against a team that's getting gashed on the ground, and then they get hit over the top. But again, what we're looking for here are wins. And if a team like Nebraska wants to throw all day long with Mark Whipple and Tommy can get into the backfield, the coverage ability of Cam and AJ is going to force punts. And that's a really big deal. 
Um, and again, like Sam said, despite the loss of an All-American in Brandon Joseph, safety still looks like one of Northwestern's strongest position groups. Um, Coco Azima and Rod Hurd, those guys have been through the fire. They have been tested. They have been through some tough stuff. They've played some hard situations. But Coco had 50 solo tackles last year, and he was a dependable, strong safety. And Hurd, if anything, is probably finally at his optimum position at free safety. Um, we talked about it off the top. We feel that he was horribly miscast last year, not because he's not a good fit for the star position, but because in this defense, as we saw it last year, real talk, the star position was a read and react linebacker. And that's not a position that a 190 pound guy can play consistently. If the other team knows how to target it, you're not going to have success there. But Rod Hurd remains one of the best athletes on this team. He's big, he's fast, he loves to hit. Honestly, he was probably one of the most snake-bit guys in the Big Ten last year. Everything that could go wrong for that guy did. A lot of it wasn't his fault. I think we think he's due for a payback year big time, and he might get that at free safety. And then gluing the entire thing together is the arrival of Jeremiah Williams from Duke. On paper, this guy's easily Northwestern's best incoming transfer. Um, he's the same size as Hurd. He's large. He comes in tied for or leading the Northwestern secondary in career tackles, career tackles for loss, career interceptions, and he's second in career passes blown up. He can play any position in the secondary. He came from a defense that used defensive backs all over the field. So he can provide excellent depth, which allows Northwestern to effectively play five DBs anytime they want to. And he can sub in in any position if there's an injury or underperforming player. So I think the secondary has the tools to get it done. Um, and again, are we going to see an occasional deep ball get over a guy's heads? Yeah, probably. But I mean, it's the cost of doing but business. Um, it's college football. You always like show me a team that allows zero deep balls. And right. They're and, probably going to the national championship game. And honestly, this that secondary is going to bail this defense out a bunch of times this season. And I think that's what you should be leaning into, the positives that that group brings to a table. So the, the, the yeah. only concern is the depth there. So, like, yes, five guys, um, that's better depth than we've had in many years. And there's, you know, there's some, some, some plan B options. Um, we, made, uh, we made a big deal about the fact that um, – uh, Garnett Hollis uh, removed his name from the transfer portal uh, last year and decided to stay with Northwestern. Um, he's an excellent, excellent cornerback uh, prospect who will uh, presumably back up one of the primary outside positions. And then Jaheim Joseph has had some run uh, in the past as well at safety, but there's not a lot of there's not a lot of other guys here, and that we are aware of. That we are aware True. of, and, and, the, and the pedigree doesn't look quite as good as, like, like Coco and um, Mitchell and Joseph were all, you know, reasonable recruits. Um, Hollis as well. Like, I, like I, I, injuries could be a problem in this space if we start to rack up, you know, two or three or more. But that's, I mean, that's, that's true for just about any team. I just wanted to call it out. Sure. I would just say, like, if you're going to look at all the different levels of the Northwestern defense and you're going to start adding up starts and minutes played, secondary positively dwarfs every other area. Um, and that's that's with because of there's five guys who've played a ton of football in that unit. And again, you're right. You're totally right. 
Lewis is a huge piece there because he's a flexible player. And frankly, so is Hurd. And I think that defense, there's there are possibilities there. Again, there's a there's a certain set of teams that want to throw or that we can get to third down or, you know, in those situations where Northwestern's going to have ability to do a lot of things on those downs. It's it's that's the thing. But look, I mean, I think anyone who has listened to all this has a pretty good idea of kind of what I think this defense is going to be overall. And again, I want to take it back to what I said at the beginning. I don't want this defense to be that thing. I want it to be something else. And if it is something else, it's going to be because of something that I haven't seen or something that I haven't anticipated. And those are the best seasons. Think about like the emergence of a Dean Lowry or a Patty Fisher or Anthony Walker, Brandon Joseph, or Matt Harris. What if that's Anto Saka? What if it's Niji Story? What if it's Xander Miller? What if it's like Austin Firestone at defensive tackle? The surprise of realizing that there's like a silver lining that you weren't expecting is just one of those like continual joys of being a Northwestern football fan. It's the thing that makes Northwestern different from every other place. This team finds ways to do this against expectation time and again. So again, what if this is another one of those seasons? But I want to hammer this home one final time. We aren't after a good defense or even a middling defense. We're chasing six wins and a bowl. So I think you've listened to us all summer run through the offenses on Northwestern's schedule. It's not a murderer's row. We just have to find a path to six. We can find that path. It can be done. Any other guys you want to kind of you know throw out there? Just names of, I mean... You mentioned Mac Weiline um, a little bit earlier. I mean, that, that's a guy who I'd love to see get some run. And, and I think the biggest thing for me is, are we going to see more guys rotating through? Right? Because like you know, we talked about, there was no rotation last year. You know, especially at linebacker, four guys played all year. That was that was pretty much it. Are we going to see rotation? Are we going to see these young kids? who we have no idea how they are, are we going to see them get out there, develop, and and uh, produce? It's a heck of a question. I mean, again, you, you mentioned Uli and Anto Saka, like guys, names that guys are really excited to see. Um, again, I just think of the way things went down last year and how that kind of colors everything. And that if you, if you put my, you know, put me to the fire and you make me say... Um, I'm going to say that, you know, in, in at linebacker, we're looking at Wendell Davis, Xander Miller, and Bryce Gallagher, and that Grayson Metz is going to come in as a quote-unquote star position, but that it's going to look even less like a star position because nominally he is a linebacker. And that, you know, I think this gravitation toward, I mean, you can look at, you can look at the, the depth chart and effectively see that by and large, with the exception of Mets, those are the largest available guys. And that was kind of true last year too. And I think we're looking for, for ways for Northwestern to unleash some of these really athletic linebackers who may be a little bit underweight. And, and you know, I think 
our thought going into last season was that the the 3-4 was going to be a piece of that. So we'll see. You know, maybe we'll see some more packages, some ability to get some of this athleticism on the field. I mean, I really want to see all these things. Uline, Saka, Najee's story, like, let's let's kick the tires. Let's see what we've got here. Um, and again, hopefully that we're going to see that different tone this season where we're going to see Northwestern working to find find the guys that make the biggest impact and stick with those guys when it finds them. One other name that I think is worth bringing up in the defensive preview here is uh, Luke Akers. Yes. So yes. Not not that Derek Adams was a bad punter last year. Um, he was Luke pretty, Aker, He was pretty decent. He was pretty decent. Um, Luke Akers is a extremely highly regarded punter. Um, coming from UCLA, if if you're not familiar, this is the son of a long time and super successful NFL kicker. Um. So it's you know it's he's transferred transferred in from from UCLA. Um, he's not the only punter on the roster, but he's surely going to be the punter um, for the season. And you know field position is such a critical component of limiting scoring for a defense. And Akers is going to have um, really important and meaningful contributions here. I just thought that was worth calling out. Absolutely. You know, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is a coaching thing, and this is going to be a theme that you hear on tomorrow's podcast uh, regarding the offense as well. But, and John's already hit the specifics, but like decision making from the coaching staff in 2021 was just weird across the board. And an interesting thing to consider when, when, you, when you think about that question of are we going to see more rotation this year? Are we going to see scheme differentials? Are we going to see more adjustments in season, how much more of O'Neill's package, quote-unquote, has been installed. Like, before O'Neill, Fitz had two defensive coordinators. He fired one, the other retired. Before Bajakian, Fitz had two offensive coordinators. One moved on to another opportunity, and the other he fired after many, 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 many years. Fitz has not had to onboard a lot of coordinators and the trust that he had built up particularly with Mike Hank Mike Hankowitz with Mike Hankowitz over the years and very much so in a mentor mentee relationship I think as well um is palpable and I think I don't say this as a way of trying to wash away last year's bonkers decision making but um I can imagine that Fitzgerald has felt strange in in how he's how how he's had to onboard a new DC that doesn't do anything about the weirdness of the choice but um as you're thinking about the coaching that Fitz is providing to his other coaches during the course of the year I can imagine that that would be a strange or fraught relationship that he was trying to figure out on the fly I that doesn't again it does not excuse the weird ass decision making it doesn't necessarily explain it it is just one kind of pet theory that I have in the back of my head that is um, something we hope to see evidence that it is evolving and improving this year on both sides of the ball. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Here's hoping. Ab- ab- absolutely. Um, you know, er- earlier on Sunday, we ran a Twitter poll to see if people wanted to see, wanted us to do one gigantic Northwestern preview that would go like two, two and a half hours, or if we should split it up into two. And it was close. I, I, 
I know a lot of you wanted to have a, a megapod and maybe for that flight over to Ireland, um, you know, you wanted us to take up half of that flight uh, with the with our Northwestern preview. But um, I, I think for everyone's sake, we'll go ahead and uh, finish up this podcast uh, on the defense. We're going to come back tomorrow with for, our for look the, at the for offense. The re- for the record, this was the, the, the for the record, this was the vote by popular choice. Yes, it was. Um, you know, more people wanted uh, to, uh, us to break it up. And I think, you know, for our, for our sanity, it, it, it'll be good to, to break it up as well. So we're going to come back tomorrow with our uh, look at the Northwestern offense. Um, but yeah, once again, subscribe to the show. Uh, give us a five-star rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, you know, your podcast platform of choice is. Um, and definitely get, let's get the word out because, um, you know, we, we put a lot of time and a lot of work and I know a lot of you out there really like what we're doing and, you know, let, let's, you know, expand that even more. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at westlawpirates. And you can email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Lawn of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.